TJ Perkins, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> How's it going? Good. So you are, I guess, are, do, you, do you still qualify as the youngest veteran in wrestling? Oh, gosh. I, I, uh, I don't know if I ever uh, qualified as a veteran to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I guess I'm still pretty young. I mean, I'm still in my 20s, so some, I, I'm still s- s- kind of the young guy in the room sometimes. Depends on where I am. So. Yeah, you're a few months older than me, so, and you started when you were 14, right? Yeah, yeah. Started training at 13, and by the time I was 14, I was working pretty much as frequently as I am now. Do you find that, I mean, I would guess it did, that you, because of how much work you were getting, that you, that it helped you grow as a wrestler a lot quicker? Um, it forced me to grow up as a, as a human, I think, a lot quicker, actually. Um, as a wrestler, it was weird at the, in the beginning because like it it was such a huge thing for me like I I had done so many things my whole life like as far as uh sports and things like that I say my whole life even though I started when I was 13 so it wasn't really (laughs) like I had much of a life at that point I was only alive for a decade but um but I had done things my entire life and uh and I never had like plans for the future so when I started wrestling it was a big deal to me I I uh kind of it was probably the first grown-up thing i've ever done is kind of sit myself down and say all right you can't screw this one up you know (laughs) you gotta uh, everything you put into this it it has to be all the right moves it has to be all the right things you have to commit to everything you can't do anything halfway because this is the only thing you've ever wanted for your life that you actually took seriously it's the only thing you ever thought was going to be in your future so you know don't screw this up and when i started it was odd in a way because it was uh, like there was really no, there wasn't really a lot of uh, bumps in the road. Um, things really came to me pretty naturally. I worked very hard, obviously, and, and I, I tried to do everything right and did as I was told. Um, kind of was, I was very like a machine in that way. Um, but, I, you know, I never had to try anything twice in order to get it right. So as far as growing, it was a natural progression. But as a human being, it was just weird because I was 13 and I'm in this you know room full of people that are in their actual prime. So they're like, you know, people that are 30 to 35 years old. So I'm I'm in there with the guys that are in their late 20s or early 30s, and it's it's weird to me because you know, I couldn't drive a car, you know, like, I couldn't do anything. So it's like the the culture of life was the big growing thing. Yeah, how big a problem was the rental car thing? Because now you've only been able to re- get rental cars for three like a years. Few years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I you know I always rode with with other guys, so you know it wasn't really that. Yeah, I was going to say as you start to say that pops into my head. Wait, it's not like you're in WWE where you're more likely to have to be the one getting the rental car. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine it would have been. Uh... I just have the Rene Dupree stories popping into my head with Bob Holly. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, see, I, I mean, I lucked out in a way because when I uh, when I turned 17, 18 years old, um, you know, my career, like I started being handed things that I never thought I'd ever get. But, you know, some guys go one direction, other people go a different. And uh, for me, I ended up, you know, becoming a, a bigger international guy. So, like, I ended up in the stomping grounds of people like you know Guerrero and Benoit and Jericho so I was I was in Mexico and Japan and you know I'm not going to rent a car out there anyway 
Um, if it had been the other way around and I got shipped off to like TNA or, or scooped up by WWE or something like that when I was 18, then that, that probably could have derailed the, <laughs> my professional life almost immediately because there's certain things that that just are always going to be an issue for people of that age. I mean, it was an issue just to get me visas and contracts when I was that age just to go to Japan. But like, I think going international kind of saved me the trouble of some of that stuff domestically. See, that almost surprised me, me as far as the visas, because I guess at least for New Japan and I guess even CML, because he sort of, I guess because you think of them as being so connected. Um, like connected in what way? I don't mean connected in the connected way. I mean, uh, just because, you know, you hear about, I guess, well, I guess this is more with all Japan that, you know, that Baba had a travel agent in Hawaii who took care of everything and I don't know, stuff like that, that I guess it, they, it, I guess that it was such, so routine for them that it surprises oh, me yeah, that yeah. it was a hic- that there were hiccups. Um, well, the thing is, is in for a lot of stuff, I mean, you know, there's visas, there's contracts, there's, you know, different types of visas depending on the length of stay or, or why you're going to be there and, and et cetera, et cetera. And then just getting into the country, going through customs and things like that, if you, you know, didn't have a visa or something like that. I mean, there's so many things and they all require kind of a gray area part of the process where somebody kind of makes a judgment call. Like, is this, is this okay or is this not okay? Um, not everything is just black and white, like, oh, he's of age, he's of, you know, his, he's got the right blood type, I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, you know well, stamp. that's a big deal in Japan, isn't it? Say, oh, blood, <laughs> blood type? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that is, I guess, according to Street Fighter. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, so, I mean, it, it doesn't always come down to crossing the T's and dotting the I's, so to speak. Like, you know, somebody has to make a judgment call, like, okay, this is you know, somebody has to grant, you know, the 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 green light on on all those processes. And I think um, the the difference was, you know, for New Japan and for CMLL, like they're a major league office. So and all Japan is the same way, like you had said. So they, uh, you know, they have proper visas and proper contracts. Whereas if you were to go for a smaller place like an indie, like uh, say like a Dragon Gate or, or something like that, you know, guys can come in almost at any age because you know the uh they're coming through immigration you know under the guise of just a normal person so for me it was kind of uh you know a thing because i started training for new japan i was i want to say i just turned 17 and then my first tour was like two weeks after i turned 18 so like it, it was as close as you could possibly come to legally getting me a visa and a contract and everything so um you know, it was just different in that way. So is this in the L.A. dojo when you're 17? Or at this point, are you already in Japan at, at, no, at the hell that camp? Was, that was the thing is I couldn't... I mean, there was really not an easy way to get me to Tokyo because I was only 17. Um, so this was all in L.A. Okay. So before... Uh, I guess outside, I guess, going across the border to Tijuana and stuff, had you been on that many, like, big road trips before that you started going to Japan and to Mexico City and all that? Uh, yeah, like when I was, uh, by the time I was 14 and, you know, just in my first year, I was already, um, and for people that don't geographically understand California, like it's such a huge 
state. So, yeah, it was about. Like, I, I was just thinking about that now. That because I, I was I, at first I was going to say I'm mainly familiar with you before all that stuff as a California guy, but then you realize how big California is. Yeah, like uh, people. Uh, I think a lot of people like if you don't live here, you forget that it spans almost the entire coast. So, um, you know, the top end of California is like. 14 hours away from from the bottom end like it's 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 a uh, it's a pretty far distance but um by the time i was uh, 14 i was already you know obviously wrestling all over the state so you know northern and southern california across over in arizona in nevada uh, mostly obviously in las vegas and then across the border in tijuana and mexicali so i i was doing all those you know within my first year which that's a pretty good amount of travel like i guess i mean um, a lot of East Coasters have a weird uh, idea of how it is geographically for the West Coast guys because let's say if you're like a Philly guy, you know, two hours in any direction and you've, you could almost go anywhere. I mean, uh, you could go to New York, New Jersey, a few hours more north, you go to Boston and et cetera, et cetera. So Baltimore. like the biggest, exactly. So like the biggest trip that they would go is like, say, Chicago, um, something like that, like hitting the Midwest. But See, for everybody in, in the West Coast, every trip is six hours, like six hours north just to get to San Francisco, six hours, you know, east just to get to Phoenix, um, you know, five hours northeast just to get to Vegas and a few hours south just to get to the border. So, you know, it, you know it's it's kind of deceivingly long road trips. So when when you first went to Japan and that was I'm trying to remember. So your first tour was. When was that? This was when? 03? Uh, 2002. 2002. Okay. Now, so this was you, Brian Danielson, Rocky Romero, and I think Ricky Reyes? Was that, yeah. was that group? Or was there anyone else yet then? There's one more as a heavyweight. Um, he wrestled as Jack Bull. Oh, okay. All right. What happened to him? Um, he ended up going over to. Uh, OVW, and I, I think he had a developmental contract for a little while. Um, and I think he was having some shoulder problems, and yeah, I don't really remember too much after that. He had a deal for a little bit, and he, he only really was kind of with us for that first year. He only went on maybe like the first tour or two, and then uh, and then he, he started getting offers to do other stuff. So. so when you first went over, were you treated as like full-fledged touring foreigners or were you sort of considered new japan young boys um a little bit of both um the other guys they treated them more like like gaijin stars like gaijin juniors like i i assume the same way they would treat you know malenko or guerrero or benoit somebody like that um yeah, maybe not Ben Walks. He was a little bit different. Right, I was just gonna say like, that, like maybe like the best Jericho. thing to compare it to would be like his first, like Benoit's first, like tour after he was no longer considered like a New Japan young young boy. Well, no, what I mean is like there's some guys, you know, you go over to Japan. And it's not really just New Japan specifically either. Like uh, um, guys that go to Noah, for example, and uh, you know. They come over and they're Americans, and whether they're juniors or the heavyweights, just they're treated as stars, you know, as gaijin. And uh, Benoit was different because they they just treated him like one of the Japanese boys. Right. So okay. Like, yeah. So like Jericho, Guerrero, Malenko, um, they they weren't like they weren't necessarily treated like students. They were 
they I think they're taking care of it a little bit different than than kind of how Benoit was because he was you know just a, it, they they looked at him in a different light because he so. went through the regular dojo system. Yeah, yeah. So in, in I I was kind of looked at that way, and and the other guys were kind of looked at like say Malenko or Guerrero or like they treated them like established guys. Um, I, I think I was kind of pegged as, well, you know, he's the young kid and, and, um, you know, he's got a longer upside. So, you know, we're going to do this with him. And the, these guys are older. They're, they're, uh, I guess the physical maturity, they're ready to go. So, you know, we were kind of segregated in that way. Yeah. I was going to say that was, that I would figure it would be the age thing mainly because I guess uh, Brian was pro- would probably be considered a bigger name at that point, but uh, Ricky and Rocky. Really, none of us were. Well, to be I mean, honest, well, at like, this uh, point, well, Ring of Honor had started by then, though. Yeah, but see, here's the thing, and, and a lot of people on the outside don't understand this: is that, um, and I think it's kind of like a like a hindsight sort of thing, um, but not a lot of people really knew what Ring of Honor was. Like even that, like I think just now, they recognize it as like an office, and there's some really great guys in there. But that's only been like the last couple of years. So like at the time that we went, we were all just American, like local wrestlers to them. Right. Well, I guess maybe just maybe throwing another stuff like w- being in developmental since he had already gone through that then and all that. Maybe maybe that's kind of more what I was thinking because he had, he had, a had... Little bit of that. I think more so because he had uh, there are some people that remembered that he came over and did that that one FMW show. Oh uh, yeah, but that was mostly fans. Like mostly people asking for autographs would come up with Polaroids from like, you know, the year before whenever it was, and like, hey, do you remember this? And and uh, and you know he he'd signed stuff, but um, everybody was pretty much treated evenly all across the board except for me i was i was the the young boy <laughs> so to speak so i mean did it go to the extent of you had kind of like an official mentor or not really um not really because you know we were still coming over from america and we had uh see they would send some of the senior wrestlers over to us sometimes so i guess in a way Makabe was kind of my senior because um, he he came over and uh, mentored pretty, you know all of us not really me specifically but um, for you know several months and then uh, Minoru came over for several months uh, Minoru Tanaka and uh, so in a way those two guys were kind of like my seniors um, if there were to be like that. Uh, Nakanishi used to make me hold his bag, but not because I was, <laughs> not because he was my senior, but just because he he uh, he could tell me to do that, and I I had to do it. But um, uh, but I didn't have a, a specific guy where, and I don't think really the guys have that actually. It's they kind of go by generation. So like, there's a group of guys that will say, oh well, Kensuke was my senior or something like that. But there's like five of them, so it kind of goes by class. So for me, Makabe had just kind of finished his like young lion stage and uh, was getting ready to be like you know a more prominent figure so he was sort of the uh the guy for the for the young boys 
So which which was the bigger culture shock? I mean, being you know eighteen, nineteen years old. Well, you had already been to Mexico, so, but I guess Mexico City's different from Tijuana. Uh, it's living there was different. Um, if uh, if you were to if you were to stick me in a cab and drop me off at a street corner, I couldn't tell you the difference. Like you know, um, as far as that goes. Uh, so I mean, it's mostly the same, but I think spending like actually living there it was was different yeah so for in at least for new japan so i guess what was the average tour how about how long would that have been back then like three weeks for japan yeah so we'd probably have about three weeks worth of dates and then uh there would usually be a big show either before or after or both that was separated from the tour by a little less than a week span so maybe a little over three weeks would be at uh about the the proper length for those tours and then usually what would happen at least for me is if i was going to go on tour i was sent out a few weeks or a month early and i would live there for a while before the tour started and then sometimes i would stay and double up and be there till the next tour and then come home or something like that usually every stay for me was was uh like a couple months so so we were talking about the promotion switching thing it's weird that it's not a big deal anymore when you think about how big a deal it was well i think that kind of comes down to the uh at the time when it was a big deal um and and we're talking all the way we're going back to like the you know the 80s um, I think it was kind of the first time where real money was starting to really be generated just by wrestling in general. So the effects and without social media and things like that having not been invented yet, the effects of guys switching office or bailing out or something like that were huge. So investments were really big. So I think that's why it was such a big deal because it's like, all right, this is a big deal now. Nobody screw around. Now it's it's I think it's a little bit easier, just from a technological standpoint. It's it's easier to make up ground if you lose an investment. So, because I was thinking of it sort of, and I could be wrong. That I, in my head, it was kind of like one of those big Japanese cultural things. So I'm so it's I mean so like I said, I could be wrong there. So it it, it felt to me like kind of a bigger change than it was, just because you had, there were so many guys who, if they were if they first toward for a smaller promotion w- would end up losing opportunities in the bigger promotions. Um, yeah, that that's probably right. And I think in a lot of ways it's still kind of accurate. Um, but, uh, but I mean, you do see guys that came in on a small stage and they've, you know, progressed, I, I guess, seamlessly uh, to bigger stages. I mean, like, like you think about, say, like, uh, like Loki or Alex Shelley, right? So they they'll come over for like zero one and it's a, it's a really small stage compared to, to some other places. So then, uh, um, now here they are, they're both in new Japan at the moment. And, um, in the meantime, you know, I'm like the, the, uh, the scope they're viewed in, like it wasn't necessarily skewed just because they, they came in on that stage, for them and you know i guess maybe you know 
key going to WWE like probably helped and Shelly having, you know, like a long tour of duty for TNA helps. Um, you know, I, I don't really know what changes it, but, but, uh, but that definitely was a thing before and it, it probably still is now. I guess it's kind of a case by case thing. Yeah, I guess maybe that's the best way to put it because I guess it depends on who's friendly with who. Although, I guess, well, I was going to say it seems like everyone, all the promotions are friendly nowadays. Although, I guess, I guess that after a few weeks ago, that maybe Noah and All Japan aren't that friendly anymore. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so what the last tour you did for New Japan would have been what the Super Juniors a couple years ago, or have you been back there more recently? Uh, no, last, last summer's. Last summer, this, Super Juniors. Not, yeah, not this summer, but the summer before uh, Super Juniors was the last time um, I'd been over. So, I mean, I guess it's been sort of on and off, but would would you be kind of the longest tendered foreigner there now? Uh, no, I mean, I guess if you, if you would choose anybody, it would be Rocky, because he came in at the same time as me, and he's still mm. there. Well, I guess, if, you know, he's still there, but, uh, he's had more he's had more tours than you, he's right. had he's had more frequency um but see the and the other thing is though too at the same time that uh see i i was gone for a few years and doing other stuff like you know tna and then like taking all these wwe things and and doing stuff in the united states and um you know going down to mexico for like smaller shots and stuff like that um, and at the same time, when, like when Rocky went to AAA, uh, the Mexico-Japan working agreement, he he didn't go to New Japan. He was going to NOAA. So then it's weird because we missed the same amount of time that I wasn't going, he wasn't going either. And, <laughs> and then now he's back full time. And at the same time that he came back uh, and he was tagging with Davey, um, they called me for the Super Juniors. So, um, But I, I'd, I'd probably say say Rocky's the longest tenured American at this point. Yeah, because it's weird, because I'm trying to think, is there anyone, though, that has the, like, as far as the Americans that really have big, like, that you really think of as being a, a promotions guy anymore? I guess, sort of like a Stan Hansen was. I mean, uh, obviously, not... It, it, well, you know, really, those things are, are always, like, uh, reserved for heavyweights, and, uh, um, God, the last long-term guy I remember them having was Norton. So, yeah, what I'm trying, I'm trying to remember, he's uh, oh well, wait, what was he? Didn't he just come back for something a few months ago? I think he went over to All Japan. Was it? Oh, right, it was All Japan. Right? Yeah. It was. It was a big show. I can't remember what it was. It was. Uh, I can't remember, but but yeah, and then it's it's. It is. It, it it's interesting how much things have changed there, and I guess I guess most of it's the TV thing has just kind of, is in the grand scheme of things what changed Japanese wrestling as a whole. Yeah, a, a little bit. I, I think that um, now too with uh, I guess with you know business being the way it is, kind of everywhere. Um, now's probably the first time in a long time that. Uh, like New Japan, for example, is pulled out so far ahead of everyone else. Um, see, you know, forever it was you know them and All Japan, and All Japan just kind of slowly started like losing ground. And then Noah was big on the, uh, 
I guess like on the creative scale, like business wise, they're always still behind all Japan and influentially they're always still behind all Japan. But, um, but it seemed like a lot of diehard fans really were catching it. They were kind of like the ECW, so to speak, you know, like, uh, just on a bigger uh, scale. A little bit. Yeah. I think that some, like it was, it was, it was pretty cool to see them able to make a few ballsy moves, like trying to do the Tokyo Dome and stuff like that. Um, the thing that always kind of gets lost in the in the culture difference, though, is that like, and Amer- American fans usually miss this part of it. Is like, like if you were to if you walk around Japan, for example, and you go into like a fan shop, you'll see a ton of New Japan stuff. You'll see a small All Japan section, and you'll see like two Misawa shirts. Like Noah had like no presence there, um, but uh, but they had a lot of trendy guys, and I think that was their ace in the hole to stay in the race for so long because they had guys that people just really liked to see as far as wrestling fans go. Um, but, you know, I guess, you know, with, with, like you said, with television and I think the new owners that new Japan has helped, you know, even just the past two owners. I mean, it was a big deal with Ukes and then now with uh Bushi road, um, you know, things are really looking up for them. So I think stuff like that changed a lot of things. Cause then, ownership and front office stuff and the other companies it seemed like they would take bad hits at the same time that new japan was finding ways to upgrade pieces so i, I just kind of think that it's i guess it's a combination of a lot of things why how that how some of that business progression has come about yeah, but it seems like new japan's pulled it together pretty much as much as you can with the way japan is now with that they're, I mean, yeah, they're the only ones that have network TV, but it's half an hour in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah, so, and I, I think that uh, they were saying, uh, uh, and I was just talking to King Fale about this, and he was saying that they, they're, they're able to procure like better time slots and things like that, and, and that it's going to help um, a lot more. So, um, so that definitely you know you hit the nail on the head that it, it's stuff like that has a lot to do with it yeah so so have you been to new japan since the last change of ownership yet or or was no, it still no, the last time you went it was still ukes um i think it was like right at the tail end too so it was like i wasn't home for very long and then i heard about the new owners so yeah i guess one last thing i wanted to ask about uh japan is because it kind of fascinates me it's like what are Giotto and Ghetto like as bookers working with them? Because it's their dream job. I mean, it's it's not an exaggeration to say that that this <laughs> this was what they always wanted to do. So I I, don't, I mean I don't mean to ask it in a way like are they fanboyish? Because obviously not, because they've been wrestling for so long and they've been stars for so long. But is there anything that seems different about them because of that? Um, the, uh, the, the best, uh, it's, it's funny. Cause like, uh, like when, like when you, uh, use the, the term fanboyish and it's like, it's, it's really close to the right idea, but not, but, and at the same time, it's, it's also not close cause they're, they're so immersed in pro wrestling for, as a lifestyle that you could see how that term would would pretty closely resemble but when you when you're around them and you you work with them um they're in my opinion the difference between them and and 
you know, and, and other people's, their, their, their wrestling IQ is really high, like really, really high. I mean, and it's, it's from inside the ring to outside the ring, the business end, the working and everything. It's, their IQ is really, really high. Um, they're very smart. They, uh, they have a very analytical way of analyzing the pieces they have, you know, to put, you know, cards together and matchups together and, 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 uh, and they check at the door a lot of, I think, old school, not cliches, but like, you know, sometimes in business and, and sometimes it's a cultural thing. Sometimes it's personal things like um, weird, like tacit laws remain, if you know what I mean. You know, like sometimes decisions are made just because of like the culture at cultural idea of something right. and it's like well that may not be the smartest thing but it's just the way it's been done forever so so and so is just adhering to the time they don't really believe in any of that stuff they just try to make the smartest decision possible um they're very uh i guess contemporary in that way um oh, yeah. and the, the big thing you see with it is that they've done an amazing job in making everyone in new japan different from each other yeah, I, I yeah, and I that's and that's exactly what I mean. They take a world view on it too. You know, they don't just take a domestic view and like what's been good here, what have we done in the past? It's what is what is the world done in the past? Like what where's the greatest successes in this business just in the entire world? The the lifespan of pro wrestling as as a game itself, like where where has that gone right? And where do we learn from that? So when we would talk, like I'd talk to Gato every day when I was on tour, and, and every every single thing he would say was based on things he's seen in the world, in Mexico, and America, everywhere. So I think that's really different because, you know, there were times when I was there and, uh, like, elders had no idea, like, who Shawn Michaels was, for example. Like, they had no idea what was going on in other parts of the world, and it's just, you know, they were... Kind of, kind of introverted from a business standpoint like what are we going to do here what have we done here and they're just so open-minded and they they they're they learn from so many things uh Giotto and gato do so See, for some reason that the the one thing that's making me think wonder like i would because i would think like except for like the absolute like most like insular came up completely through wwe system types I, I would think that, like, most established American guys would have at least heard of, I guess, who would you, I guess, compare to Michaels for Japan? I guess, I don't know, Masawa. Uh, yeah, like like how people may have heard of, uh, um, um, and, and we're talking maybe decades back now, so, like, like if somebody in the mid-90s would have been familiar with Enoki. Um, right. I just keep it, I, I, hearing that for some reason that reminds me of the story where I think it was the Sabu Benefit show or something that Sandman went up to Jaguar Yakota and he was, you know, all, oh my God, you are the greatest legend and blah, blah, blah. And then he walks away and she, she asks someone, who was that? <laughs> yeah. Um... More in, not in the sense that she didn't, wouldn't know who Sandman was because between the separation of the women's business and the men's business and others, and him not necessarily being a super top-tier star, you could get that, but more that Sandman is this giant Jaguar Yakota mark. 
Yeah, I mean, I like, and, you know, I ran into some of this type of stuff in Mexico too. I remember when I was in Mexico and, um, um, not really old timer guys. Like, I mean, if I talk to like, like Negro Casas or something, I mean, he knows everything and everybody. Um, but you know, some some guys I'd talk to and they had no idea, like what I was talking about like as far as american wrestling goes and and i mean and you know and this is these are people that are on even mexican tv every day because you know wwe has such a global product um but it's just some at at a certain point as uh, big as things are like influence kind of just stops dead for some people you know and it's it's kind of out of sight out of mind you know yeah so I guess in lieu of going around chronologically, I want to I want to ask you about the whole sort of going to WWE developmental, not on a contract experience, because it like how much of it is that a carrot's being dangled for you, how much of it is for yourself, etc. The best way I can describe and it, this describes a multitude of things, especially with WWE is that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Um, so, you know, everybody interprets that a different way, like uh, saying uh, how much is that is like a, you know, a carrot's being dangled for you. That's that's hits the nail on the head for a lot of guys, but for some, not so much. But it, it's to, to get more to the point, it's more like the, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing because um, um, like in my case, and, and like I was saying before, certain things are case by case, and this is one of them. Like, my my specific case um it was like within a year span i had done like a dozen dark matches and tryouts and you know like enhancement matches and things like that um in a ridiculously short amount of time so it's like some of these guys at tv were seeing me like every month um just because of the way that some of the loops for their uh for their tours lined up like they hit the west coast like twice and then there was another time when i was in a different part of the country but happened to to line up with something that you know like it was just i, I was just there all the time i remember um there's a there there was a referee out of la that was good friends with sean michaels so he brought sean michaels to the local gym out here where i started and i happened to be just working out there in the morning at the morning practice and he was addressing all the all the boys and just talking to them and stuff like that. And he stops in the middle of talking and he points at me. He's like, "Hey, weren't you at TV this week?" <laughs> like it was getting to that point. Like the guys would, a lot of the guys would just know I was there. Um, and some agents and people, like I remember Tommy Dreamer saying this stuff like this to me, and they're just saying, um, you know, it 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 kind of motivating me to go to Florida. Like it might be in your best interest to to go ahead and do that. Like you may have hit a wall here. Because you're you're not getting anything anything more out of it. I mean, making really good money doing it, but <laughs> but like uh, you know, if you want to progress, it might be a better a better career move to do that. Whereas it's not like they notify the people in Florida of that. So when when a guy like me shows up there, it not everybody has any idea who I am. So it's 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 kind of the operation is so big that. You know what I'm saying? Like they, yeah, they kind yeah, of, yeah. they they really don't, uh, they don't even correspond very well on, on major pieces of their company. So, you know, it's it's really hard 
to for a guy in my position to navigate one end of the company to the other um, seamlessly. So. So going to Florida, I mean, for anyone who's not under contract, do you have to basically go and be a paid student or are there exceptions? I don't know what everybody does, but I legitimately showed up like I didn't know how to wrestle. I just showed up like I had never touched a ring in my life. Um, I just, and I did that for me, like part of, part of it was amusing to me, but, um, but I, I, I never say that because I don't want it to seem like I was taking it as a joke or something like that. But, but part of it was amusing to me to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, just kind of like start over as if I'd never touched a ring. But, um, another part of it was, I just felt like it was a smart move for me to approach it that way because a lot of times guys defeat themselves before they touch the front door. Cause it's like, Hey, I'm this guy you know, I should be here, like that type of thing. So I just kind of wanted the impression to be made from scratch. So I did it that way. Um, I, some guys, you know, I'm sure have different, different entries into all this stuff. And, and, um, some people are recruited in some people, you know, they, they all have different things. Um, there's a guy that was in the camp, there that I was in that had joined camp a long time ago and he they just had him stay there and keep coming even though he didn't have a job or anything but they just became familiar with him and I think he ended up signing for a little while I think it was uh he was wrestling as Nick Rogers um but uh I think he just recently got let go um but you know everything's different I remember when UPW was the developmental territory for them and I was there and I was 16 years old and like I was in no position to be a employee for WWE, but I was on all the TV tapings for UPW and in all the training, like I used, I would do chain wrestling with John Cena at practice. Like I was in there with the who's who of the guys they had there, but that just happened to be because I was there. Um, every situation is different. So I guess the, now that developmental's kind of changed, you, you know, for one way or another, there are changes. I mean, some of them are easier to put your fingers on another. I guess I'm not even sure if there is any other way to ask this question other than is there, whether it's among you personally or other indie guys, I guess, or I, I almost, I don't want to use the term necessarily work rate indie guys, but, um, you get you get where I'm you get what I'm saying. Is there just kind of a is there a sense of more hope now that you know that they seem to really be into guys who have been through ROH and those type of promotions and that Rob Naylor of all people is booking developmental TV. It, is has that led to kind of just a change in the way people kind of look at developmental and their potential prospects of getting signed. Um, you know, I, I go back and forth on this a little bit. Some days I think that there's a difference. Some days I don't think there is. Generally speaking, I, I'm kind of sure that there, there isn't a difference, but here's why. I think that there isn't a difference, not because it's the same old like cliche idea that, oh, WWE wants who they want and, and, you know, the, the indie guys are screwed and blah, 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 blah. I, I think it hasn't changed in the sense that that never was the case. They just didn't see 
anything they needed out of guys like say me or who, you know, guys that are working, you know, in, in the freelance world. Um, I don't think that they're ever opposed to having, you know, indie wrestlers or, or, you know, as you say, like work rate guys that, that they were never against that. Um, I just think people read more into it than there was from the outside and I think that it, coincidentally in the last few years, they've, they've picked a few guys that they thought would be good pickups. You know, they'll pick up Mystico and then they'll pick up, uh, you know, Nigel and Brian, of course, Nigel didn't stick. Um, and so then people read into it that, Oh, times are changing. And I don't really think that that's ever the case. Cause I mean, it wasn't that long ago that they, they, uh, you know, picked up Guerrero, Malenko and Benoit. And those guys were, you know, except for Benoit at the time he left, those guys were like opening match guys in WCW. It's not like they thought they signed a jackpot. They just saw guys that were good at their job and they happened to have an idea in mind that they fit. Um, what it really comes down to as far as like, um, you know, roster members and things like that, people have to understand that it's like, uh, you know, if you own a baseball team, if you own the Dodgers and you have Matt Kemp playing center field, do you sign Curtis Granderson when he becomes a free agent? Probably not, because you have Matt Kemp. You don't need another center fielder. You know, we have Adrian Gonzalez. We don't need Prince Fielder. There's nothing for him to do. He'd sit on the bench. So guys aren't scooped up just because they're good, and then they find something for them to do. They already have an idea of what they want on their show, and they're waiting for the right people to fit that role. It's like casting a TV show or, or building a, a team roster. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it reminds me of J.J. Um, Dillon's book. He told a story about it. I think it was that in McFoley's book, Mick kind of felt like J.J. kind of strung him along when he was the head of talent relations as far as do, you know whether or not WWE had a spot for him. And the way J.J. put it was... It was never that anyone had anything against Mick or even wrestlers who looked like Mick. It was WWE had an allowance for a certain amount of guys who looked and or wrestled like him. That spot kind of opened up. It was the right timing, and he got signed. Right. And and, and really, that's that's what it comes down to. Like, uh, and, and, and again, you know, people on the outside read a lot more into it than... Um, than there is, and they, I think they kind of write a story that's not there. Um, you know, like when they think of the atypical, you know, WWE guy. Like when people think of it, they're like, "Oh, well, it's going to be a six foot two, two hundred thirty pound white guy with tattoos and a faux hawk." But guess what? I mean, that's a gigantic demographic. So of course, there's going to be more spots for a guy like that. That's just that's just how it is. You know, um, we live in America. If this were Japan, then there'd be one spot for a guy like that. And if you look at New Japan's roster, they only have, you know, one or two guys that would fit a description like that. And that's just the way it is. Um, you know, when uh, they'll have a guy like, you know, they have guys like Tyson Kidd and and Evan Bourne on the roster. If they didn't, there'd be a couple there'd be a couple positions that they would need somebody to fit there in that division in those matchups, you know. Um it's just not as simple as saying, oh, this guy's great. We got to give him a job because, you know, I think that's kind of like a, 
when you're a fan and you're not part of the system, you know, that's where the breakdown and that understanding goes because, I mean, it's like us watching sports or something like, like, you know, in our minds we think, oh, so-and-so's available. That guy's great. Somebody give him a job. But it's like, um, you know, like I said, they, it, it's counterproductive to the system when you start, you know, compiling all these tools, but you have nothing to build with it. You know, you're just clogging the closet. Eventually they're going to collect dust. The only difference is now you have a fan base that are going to, you know, <laughs> criticize you and say, why are these guys collecting dust? Well, it's like, well, you guys wanted us to sign them in the first place. So <laughs> what do you want? What do you want us to do? Um, I think when you look back in history, sometimes there's, there's companies and, and, uh, and rosters that are put together like that. And um, you see them have all these great pieces, but for some reason they just can't put things together. And you question the, the booking ideas, you question the matchups they do, and you're like, God, why, why are these guys so stupid? But it's like, you know, I think those are situations where they said, okay, let's just get everybody who's good. And then they don't know what to do with them, you know, because, you know, the, the, uh, the carriage can't drive the horse, you know? Would that be a good segue into asking you about Gabe Spolsky? <laughs> <laughs> um, sure, if you want to ask about Gabe. I, well, you know, one thing I actually I wanted to ask first, just to kind of finish off the WWE talk. I mean, I guess, I like, I completely get what you're saying, but I also feel like, I guess maybe it would be a little different the last year, at least in the sense that there were all the rumors about the, oh, they're casting a, a Cruiserweights-only show, and that sort of thing. I guess um, I, I think that's uh, it is different. And I, I, and I think that's a great that's a great thing that they're that they're doing stuff like this. I think that's that is driven from a, a company standpoint. Like, again, like they, uh, you know, they they know what they need. They find the pieces to fill that. And in this case, you know, they wanted to have an all women show. They wanted to have try, you know, the 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 lightweight division show. And that's driven by the fact that as a company, they're trying to grow. They wanted to have a network. What are we going to do with this network? Well, there's a whole lot more time to fill. So now we have a whole lot more roles. So now we can have a bigger roster. So, I mean, from top to bottom, it lines up like dominoes, like all the way down to the individual guy getting a job. Like it all starts at the top. What is the plan? Where are we headed? Um, I thought that was great. And I I do think that um, some management changes have started to – experiment more with with looking for you know in different qualities for guys um so and the world itself is just getting greener you know so athletes are getting leaner and smaller and 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 uh you know more healthy in different ways like you know things are evolving naturally so you know the you know, everybody follows suit eventually yeah so as far as you know talking about gabe and dragon gate usa and evolve and stuff i I say this that I don't want to feel like I'm dumping on him or asking you to really dump on him, but I just <laughs> felt like after reading your form spring and t- you, what you wrote about your experiences with Dragon Gate USA, I just c- kept thinking last night, wow, he really comes off bad here. <laughs> oh, like the way that Gabe is perceived? Uh, I mean, what? Did, well, on the stuff that you wrote, I mean, it was kind of... Or I, or I look like a like a jerk. No, the gate came <laughs> off really bad. Because um, uh, I, I could see both. I could see Gabe being perceived in a in a bad light. That's maybe like, maybe not 
entirely deserving. And, and at the same time, I could see that even though I, I think I was just, you know, t telling the facts, um, that I could probably come off looking like a jerk. <laughs> right. No, no. I mean, it's with, you know, I can tell with you that at least, and if, if by some chance Gaber to hear this and to disagree or whatever, if this is the only reason I'm phrasing it this way, that I can tell that either, you know, you're just answering questions with the truth or the truth as you see it. And the, like I said, the only way I'm saying that is just in case. <laughs> but <laughs> um, it, it was the two, the things that really stuck out for me were the riding in the ring truck story and that he would not pay you what everyone else paid you, even though he was asking you to be basically, especially in general, but also especially that he was asking you to be basically the face of the company. Right. Um, well, I mean, that's it in a nutshell. I, um, um, I don't, where, where do we begin? <laughs> I mean, well, the ring truck thing, was that just because you were living in Tampa at the time? Um, I think so. I, I, I think, uh, and you know, like a lot of this is speaking in hindsight and I'm sure if you were to ask him, like there, this might not be the whole story, but I, I think the telltale sign is that when I, when I moved home, that changed everything. So I, I think a lot of it did have to do with the fact that I was there. Um, you know, and I was working with Sal cause you know, the, you know all these things are under the umbrella the same umbrella, but, um, but Gabe and Sal are, are partners and, and I, I just happened to be working for, for Sal in Florida, um, frequently. So, you know, a lot of it just, just, uh, you know, through familiarity, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with me being already there. So, you know, it segued easily into having a job with him. So, I, it, what's just, what's running through your head though when he's just I guess just a in the first place that he wouldn't pay you what everyone else was paying you, and then b when he when as you put it that it was kind of to replace Davy Richards, but that when he wanted you to be the face of the promotion that he wouldn't even go up to that that he wouldn't even go up to your regular rate like I'd almost expect him to want you you know to beg and plead and. Yeah, just yeah, like from almost, the outside, almost be like I have a better bargaining chip now because <laughs> right, I'd because, expect uh, you almost yeah, to be the, a, a going from like your normal rate to above that, but yeah, mm -hmm. like the the demand is now high all of a sudden. Um, what really the first thing that was going through my mind, more than anything at that time, and it was like this for for at least two years, is that um, I was thinking how I can just stay afloat. I mean, for a long time out there, it was really rough for me, like. I mean, to the point of just trying to like stay alive, it was rough for me because, um, you know, I moved out there, and uh, it was it was me and and uh, and my fiance, and um, you know, we we uh, we both went to FCW actually. She she was kind of a fair weather um, female wrestler, but uh, anyway, uh, the the t entire span that we were there, you know, it's just Murphy's Law. I mean, anything that could go wrong did go wrong. You know, I was I was hit with the most major injuries I've ever had in my life. Like the first week I was at FCW, first week we were there, shattered my ankle. 
um, on one of Sal's shows, actually, for FIP. I was wrestling with Davey, and I, I finished the entire camp there, um, did my TNA dark matches after FCW ran its course, and all the indies, the Dragon Gate shows, everything on one leg. I had a shattered ankle, but, um, you know, we couldn't get regular jobs when we started running out of money. We, we had been evicted twice. We were homeless for a short amount of time. We were starving and, Jesus. like, collecting quarters in parking lots at midnight to buy tuna and macaroni. Like, I mean, it was that bad. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I had to, the only thing I could do was, was wrestle to make money. And, uh, you know, especially with the economy at the height of like, you know, coming off of this big crash economically where people like were losing jobs and stuff. And it's like, you know, I've been a wrestler my whole life, so I, I don't even have an extended education. So it's like, you know, wrestling was the only way I had out. So it's not like I could take, you know, a, you know, my broken fingers and, concussions in my shattered ankle and torn ligaments and say all right i need to heal because it's like no you need to be on that bar show in front of 10 people tuesday wednesday and thursday nights just to make chicken scraps to get by um so first and foremost i was always just thinking all right i gotta keep i gotta <laughs> keep my head above water but really at this time and especially like the stuff with dragon gate like educated me on being a better business person um, I never knew what a career was. I was like Rick Vaughn my whole life. Like <laughs> I was really good at wrestling when I first started and all this great, awesome stuff happened. I was making awesome money as a teenager and I didn't know what the hell I like. I probably what Justin Bieber must've felt like when he <laughs> first became famous. Like when you're a kid and you're making money and you're doing all this cool stuff, it's just a big party. Like you don't understand anything. Now it's like, I had to actually learn what it's like to be an adult and stuff like that. So you know, I started to think about my career from a business standpoint, like, you know, what should I be earning? Where, like, you know, real life things, real life numbers, like not just playing wrestler anymore. Um, and the and the other thing that went through my mind, uh, like you said, when, when I was talking to Gabe about, you know, especially when I first came in and then, you know, when Davey left and all this stuff, in my mind I was thinking, like, where is the where is the barometer on all this stuff? You know, from a business standpoint, people are making these decisions like so-and-so is worth this, or I want to be paid that, or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like this guy's a draw. And it's like, well, how do you determine all this stuff? So it's really me like educating myself and seeing like where read between the lines, like, like where is, you know, from a mathematical scientific standpoint, like, what is the reality in all this? So, you know, when, when questions would come up, I'd ask them questions. Like, why, why, why can't I have this number matched? You know, why, uh, why am I only earning this much? And, you know, answers, you know, I'd ask a question like that, and he'd respond with, well, you know, so-and-so sells DVDs. And I'd ask, well, how do you know that? Is there some kind of written written in request every time you get an order like i bought this dvd because of so and so um and i told him i was like i i could i'll screenshot you my uh well at the time uh myspace and twitter and formspring inboxes and show you how many people are asking me where they could see me wrestle so can't tell me that it's a it's a demand thing especially when you don't know who's demanding what or why um you know so that that is in a nutshell it's like decisions are made and and in my mind, I was like, how do you decide all this stuff? You don't even know why. You're just choosing, you know? 
Yeah, I thought that then also the kind of the discussion that kind of sprang out of that on your I said sprang and now I'm going to say form sprang wonderful. Spring. Uh, <laughs> the, it's kind of the you and I kind of get what you're saying going with this. That is hard aside from someone, I guess who's an established star type to figure out who really is a draw in the Indies. Well, like um. Uh, excuse me. Took a big gulp of water. <laughs> um, the the thing was is like a lot of a lot of the reality of the situation. I I I think is is true. Like in this case, like um, um, and like I remember I saw the payroll one day for Evolve and Dragon Gate because um, you know I was I was like I said I was around Sal all the time and 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 uh, you know I'd sit with him while he was editing the DVDs and stuff and you know we'd look at camera angles and watch the shows and things like that while he was editing and and uh you know i i remember seeing the paperwork for the payroll just a single page list top to bottom every single guy and the exact number they made and it was incredible the dichotomy between the two like blew my mind like <laughs> like that there's like these you know handful of guys at the top making whatever they make and these guys at the bottom that that's like why why is their name even on the list because it's pretty much zero um and uh but you know i agree with that's you know certain guys like they're obviously you know popular and trendy guys but you don't how you can how you can uh come down to a specific point and use only that as your justification of the worth of this person um i just think that's insanely uh closed-minded and kind of ignorant um but at the same time don't get me wrong because if i were a, a business owner I, not that I would do the same thing and try to base it off of such a broad, like, aimless idea, but um, I would try to get away with as much as I could as well, you know? So, like, you know, if I were in Gabe's shoes, if people are going to ride in the ring truck or work for nothing, then I would do it too. I don't blame him at all for that. Um, what I learned most of all in, in all this is that it kind of comes down to us, like, as people on the roster, you know, if, if, uh, if it's not the right fit, you need to be responsible enough to walk away. So, I mean, one last thing I just kind of want to ask about that is, it's, you, know, you kind of bring it back to the ring truck thing. Is I mean, I I'm going to assume that he's the one who brought it up the idea. Of riding it. in the ring truck. Yes. <laughs> um, I I don't remember if it was I, it was probably both Gabe and Sal just assuming because um. You know, they're only going to uh, they're only going to take care of, of a certain amount of people, and they they're good at picking like, you know, they picked a roster that was basically in the backyard of where they're working. Not too many people had to come from too far, and those that did, they took care of them. And then, I, I, and um, you know, I I shouldn't be looked at as like the the martyr in all this single handedly because I wasn't the only guy riding in the ring truck. Like Brad Allen was in the ring truck with me, and. Uh, um, one time we had uh, one of the Dark City guys was with me. I was gonna um, say, I'm thinking, I'm getting this image of you like kidnapped, looking in the back of the ring. <laughs> there was, you know, there's, there's, there, there's there a couple guys a few times that that maybe were with me, but it, I was the only guy that was there, like every single one. But, um, but you know, I was just a, a way for them to get a guy who. 
Um, you know, I don't think the world of myself or anything, but I think that there was a lot of good matches that they saw that, that I'd be good for. And, and I guess, you know, enough people wanted to see me wrestle and, and it was a way for them to get that on their, on their show without having to take care of anything to do it. Um, so, so was it like, were they saying, oh, well, we, we, we could pay you for your transportation, but we'd have to pay you less as for your actual fee is that how it went no because i was making f- way less than it wasn't even close to trading off numbers like oh, okay tra- transportation would have there's no way they would have covered that because it's i wasn't i was making it like <laughs> exponentially less than that would have cost um yeah because i mean i was trying to because he did I, I, I'm not going to ask you to go into any kind of specific numbers, but I couldn't really tell, at least in terms of the scale of them versus each other. So I, I'm a little glad you cleared that up. So it was it was an either or. It was either... Yeah, it, I was either working or I wasn't. Wow. Um, so, and, and I guess uh, part of the reason why I went on so long that I would just keep working and keep working, part of it was, you know, they, they were really encouraging that, that that would change, but it just never did. So, you know, eventually it has to click in your head, all right, well, this isn't going to change. Um, so, I've, you know, obviously because of that, my motivation stayed high for a while. And then, two, like, you know, part of me saw that there was things that I could get out of it as far as, I guess, keeping my name in the news, so to speak. Um, but, you know, it's an old lesson, too, that if any time you do something for, uh, for um, exposure then along with it comes a healthy dose of exploitation so yeah i was gonna say the that was this kind of because actually i think i kind of i think i i think i started when i did that previous interview with you and i i think that i can't i think it was maybe before dragon gate usa but it was it was when you were living in florida it would have been around the same time because so, i think it was uh, shortly after that i signed with uh actually to be the last time we spoke it was uh in the middle of everything that we're talking about. Oh, okay. It was. Sh- I, I remember the the Lucha Libre USA people were at Vivoom in New York. Okay. And they met with me that day, and that was the final decision to sign me as an agent and as a uh, and as a wrestler. And then that contract is how I moved home. Because I was what I was gonna say was that you were you weren't really that visible at that time until you started working the Dragon Gate and Fall shows because. You were in Florida, and you weren't, you weren't really, you weren't, since you weren't under contract, you weren't on FCW TV, so since Florida, you know, at least at the time, wasn't getting that much, you know, attention in terms of the indies, this sort of did get your name back out there. See, yeah, choosing to go after WWE, and this is before I moved to Florida, um, you know, at the time that I started doing all the, the dark matches and tryouts and stuff like that, and then, you know, deciding to move to Florida, you know, in lieu of that, or not in lieu, but uh, because of that, um, I took, I kind of took myself off the map. Like I took, I checked, I checked myself out of the game, so to speak. Um, Cause I, rem- I remember before, or rather uh, right after I had uh, moved back from Mexico and was done with CML and then, you know, I was in New Japan at the time. And all of us, a whole little group with me and Brian and, and the Pitbulls, like we came home and it was like, you know, and at this time, the the generation of like, you know, Shelly and Sanjay and some of these guys, um, Jay Lethal and 
the indies were starting to get an, a second generation of guys after the initial gen, uh, indie boom, you know? So then all of a sudden, uh, I remember we came home and it was like, there's a demand for, for us to come and work some of the stuff. I mean, that's how I got into like ring of honor in 03 the first time. And like the super eight and then major league wrestling with, you know, and like meeting court Bauer and all that stuff in Florida before. And then, um, you know, all that, all that stuff. And then DNA, all that stuff came about because of that. And I remember like taking what was good standing amongst, uh, you know, peers and, and fans and kind of like checking out of the game. And I remember sitting in Florida, especially when it got so bad, I was like, man, I've literally just started my entire career over. Like I took everything that I worked so hard for and thought I'd never get like new Japan, Sima, all this stuff and literally just kind of threw it away. Like I have to rebuild all of that. Um, yeah, I, I kicked myself when I was down a lot <laughs> when I was out there. But I, I get the impression from kind of the way you talk, just in general, but on your online on forum spring, and that, that it seems like you, now that you're back home, home in LA, in well, I don't know, it's Southern California. I don't know, if, I don't know exactly where you live. But, LA uh, is fine. It is LA. I'm just outside of LA. Yeah, <laughs> the the greater Los Angeles area, as it is officially known, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that it it does seem like you that you kind of are back into a good rhythm. I think so. I mean, uh, I I, I kind of learned a lot about, you know, managing a career and being a professional at that time. I mean, I learned a lot about being a professional when I went, you know, to Mexico and New Japan. They taught me how to act like I've been there before and, and how to treat a major league process. So then, you know, later on when TNA and WWE stuff came around, it wasn't a shock to my system to be a professional. But then to manage a professional life, like, I learned that going away. So now, like... Yeah, you know, I don't really think like I'm a popular guy or anything like that, and and um, you know I don't I don't think that like <laughs> I uh, should be on the wrestling news ticker so to speak all the time. But I think I'm really good at managing myself, um, you know, to do good business and to pick places that are good spotlight. And and uh, you know I'm not just saying like when I was 15 years old or 14 years old like I just want to wrestle. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and just wrestle like. Like, I, I still have as much, probably more fun now than I did then, but I'm just, I think I just learned a lot about, yeah, I grew up. <laughs> so. So, kind of, I guess, want to go through kind of a quick, just lightning round of just random stuff I was sure. <laughs> wondering about. Uh, when you did the, uh, what, what were they, what did they call the the UWF-style tournament in Germany? Uh, uh, ambition. Ambition, Okay. Uh, what was that like? Cause it, it, I could it's you could tell that it was something that you and Danielson and those guys were really into. But it's it it's I'm trying to figure out the best way to put this. I'm not gonna say it seems po- it, pointless in a world with MMA because it's not. But it since it's been kind of just in even in it, Japan, it is the way for someone to take. I I agree that. Uh... It is kind of a uh, kind of a risky creative spin to put on something that's so closely related to pro wrestling and in a world that already has, you know, MMA on a large scale, um, which I, I think is kind of what you're getting at. Well, I guess my question is really, 
was the goal to kind of do it to as close to like a UWFI or a ring style as possible rather than a realistic pro wrestling match? Uh, I think it was uh, that type of thing, yeah. I, I, I think that a lot of it, it was kind of a conglom... Uh, you get you get the distinction I'm making. Like, cause yeah, even though that's yeah, kind of on the more real, most realistic side of the pro wrestling spectrum, it's still a lot different from going in there with the idea that you're going to do what worked MMA match. I think that really the it was kind of an amalgamate of the ideas. I mean, you have UWF and, and rings and stuff like that, um, and it's like that. And then um, uh, I think it was really trying to put a different spin on the regulation of what pro wrestling is. Because um, you think of regular pro wrestling, and, and it's like, you know, a guy can get away with bringing a chair in the ring. And a guy can, there's rules that people don't even care about. Like, you, you can't have pass interference in a football game, and the flag doesn't count, you know. But in pro wrestling, a guy doesn't break on five, and it's no big deal. Like, that guy should be, that guy should be fined. Like, he, he broke a serious well, rule and the, didn't care. Well, even the, you know, closed fists or the, I mean, I guess it's not it, really a thing anymore, but think of all the places where jumping off the top rope was sort of illegal because yeah, with exactly. the referee starting accounts while you're on the top rope which exactly everything and then this is one of the things that i like about wwe is that uh i don't know how much of it is internal and how much of it is public because like i don't read the internet or anything so i have no idea like what fans know or think they know or hear or whatever but um i know internally they're they're really big on trying to stick to those rules. Like they don't like seeing guys hang in the corner without putting their hands up to protect themselves and things like that. That you know, that you see a grittier wrestling match now, not because guys don't know how to wrestle, uh, like on a large scale as opposed to previous generations, but because I think they're trying to get the rules to be taken more seriously, like blood stoppages. You see the same thing in the NBA. If a guy breaks their nose, a a mandatory 30 second timeout is taken to stop the blood and he's not allowed to return if blood isn't stopped. Um, so there's a lot of things like that. And I like that about WWE and, and in this tournament, it was kind of like that. Like they, I think they wanted to build a format, um, kind of like how world of sport was where, you know, the scenario of the rules and the sport were a big deal. And I was kind of hoping that that's what evolve was going to be like, but, I think the pros and cons of having so many innovative wrestlers on the roster at Evolve, but the rules negating a lot of the things that they're talented at, um, I think like certain things outweighed the others, so that didn't ever that never came into effect. But that's kind of what ambition was supposed to be. Right, like the way you, like I kind of think of it with what you were saying about Evolve is like, yeah, if you can do that in the right context, that's good, but. Like, in the end, of all kind of ends up being just another one of these a promotion where pro wrestling. pro wrestling matters, damn it, type places. Yeah, yeah it's, just, it's just pro wrestling. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, with uh, you know, A, everybody's got to be on the same page, and uh, B, I mean, and I hate to say this, is a, I don't mean it to be like a knock on my peers, but things have really changed as far as people's fundamentals from when I started back in like 98, 99 to like now. Um, so taking a guy out of his element and saying, look, you can't use the ropes in this way there. You have to follow this rule. And it's like, you know, no, but it's a really big thing for me to do this this way. And it's like, you know, the, 
there's a uh, I think there's core fundamentals of the way that the game is played now that's missing from previous from recent generations so it kind of makes things like that impossible now do you mean that in a, the sense of guys not necessarily having good basic pro wrestling fundamentals or more in the sense of needing to get their stuff in a little bit of both okay a little bit of both um and and both both of those include lessons that would be expanded upon you know i mean um the importance of getting their stuff in i mean you know it's it's right back to that less is more thing that you hear from old timers and in, in any sport really i mean it's not even just in like wrestling i mean look at like basketball or something like dude you don't need to get a posterizing dunk in every play like you know sometimes we just need a mid-range jumper like um i i i think it's a little bit of both um and i think a lot a lot of the uh at least the fundamental aspect comes from uh you know in the world that we live in now with social networking things like that guys fast forward their careers so quickly now and uh it's not it's not a bad thing necessarily because guys work really hard, but at the same time, it it, uh, it shows people how quickly they could accomplish something. So sometimes they just, you know, fast forward through things that, you know, is is necessary in building a, a complete IQ and a complete game. So this leads me to sidetrack on something for a second, just because when you're talking about that type of stuff. Um, I had been talking to a while back a friend of mine about you know the you know Mr. Hughes' school in Atlanta, yeah, where uh where, what's his name A.R. Fox, Ua Nation, those guys came out of. That he was telling me that just if you watch their stuff on YouTube, that yeah, they're these really tiny shows, but they that they do so many shows in front of a crowd, you know, that it's still in front of a crowd that uh, their guys tend to have better fundamentals much earlier than a lot of guys coming out of a lot of other schools. Because they're working in front of a crowd, is that what you're saying? Because they're working in front of a crowd so often. Yes. Um, and, and that's the thing, is like, uh, um, you, uh, hey, this is something I always say, like, uh, especially with, with guys that are watching wrestling, you can't analyze a pro wrestling match on mute. So, um, and the reason being is because uh, a lot of this game is decided, you know, upon who's watching you. And um, there's only so much you can learn in an empty ring because a majority of the game is learned through in-game experience, you know. Um, so simply being in an organic atmosphere like that, you know, more frequently, I mean, that's where the real learning is done. You know, it's kind of like taking, you know, taking an athlete in a team sport and saying, like, how do you teach them to play in the playoffs at, at practice? You can't. There's no way you can do that. So the only way you can do that is putting them in there against the guy that they're going to go one-on-one -on -one with and in the actual game that they're going to go one-on-one -on -one in. Like, there's just no other way to replicate that. So. And there are just so few places where guys can get any kind of, I mean... I'm not going to assume that they're necessarily really being paid for those shows, but still it's, it's the experience. The experience does count and there are really not that many places anymore. I mean, it's why so many more guys go to work for all star in England than you, they used to. 
I, you know, I, I, that's why I've always been, uh, sorry, I dropped my phone. <laughs> uh, that's why I've always been real big about, um, you know, traveling and being, uh, being flexible with, you know, uh, you know, if, if you're going to make any sacrifice, being able to leave your own backyard just because, uh, you know, the, the living, breathing game of what we're doing, I mean, that's just so important for your, for your wrestling IQ. Um, you can't get that anywhere else. And, and subsequently, you can't produce the opportunities that you'll get in the future without doing that. So it's kind of a two birds type thing. Um, but yeah, exactly like how you said. I mean, you uh, places and and uh, situations like that are so valuable. But have you ever worked for All Star? All Star, no. But when uh, when last I had spoken to Dixon, I was gonna go. I think when I ended up moving to Mexico, um, it was gonna be a choice between those two because Brian really wanted to go there, and I remember thinking, "Oh well, I'll go. I want to go there," and. Uh, he ended up going there a little after we left for Mexico or around the same time or something like that. And for me, it was like, all right, choose one or the other. And, um, I was just going to get more work in Mexico. So I simply just chose that. Plus it's, you know, a major league atmosphere and television and a more realistic schedule of what I want to get to as far as the later parts of my career. Um, and I was just thought no matter which one I chose, it won't really be a big deal because the, you know, that loop in England, and obviously, you know, CMLL in Mexico, they're kind of like stuck in a time warp. Like, <laughs> if we go back in 20 years and look at these places, it, they, I wouldn't be shocked if they're exactly the same as they are now. So, oh yeah, I absolutely. Just, yeah, so I always just kind of felt like I can't go wrong with whatever I choose because if I ever feel like I want to do the other later, I can. Um, I haven't gone over for for Dixon. I like at least two times. I I almost pulled the trigger on going, but then a tour would come up or something that I just, I needed to take. So, but I mean, that stuff's real valuable. Puerto Rico, same way. I just remember, I remember when Danielson, I can't remember if it was ROH or maybe New Japan. Oh, no, no, no. It was New Japan where I really noticed it, but it was in general. When he came back from that tour, you could tell something had clicked for him. The, yeah. He, not that he was really... Not that he was never a wrestle in a vacuum type guy, but he was. You could tell he was so much better at reading and interacting with a crowd. Yeah, I agree, and I I think uh, he more so he had an idea of what he wanted to be defined as, you know, and, and that 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 is kind of the catalyst for everything, you know, because it's like, uh, I mean, putting on a show in in any any type of format. I mean, if you're going to go on stage, if you're going to film something or you're going to, you know, play a concert, like how do, how do you say, all right, I'm going to put on a concert and you don't know what instrument you play, let alone how to play it once you've chosen it, you know, like you, right. uh, I'm going to film this movie. Well, what's it about? Haven't thought of that yet, but don't worry. The movie's coming out soon. Like, <laughs> the, no, it's not coming out soon. Cause you don't know what you're doing. Like you, you have no, <laughs> you have no direction. So, I think the fact that, uh, and I could kind of see it when we were in Japan, because he, we were on tour initially with this guy uh, Tony Sinclair, who's a world of sport guy from before. Oh, is this older. the uh, when Dory Funk did the retirement thing? Um, I don't remember any of that. 
uh, I do. I just remember that because the the first tour, the first part of the tour we went on in New Japan was called Muga, which is a special um, attraction type thing. It's based on catch wrestling. Um, Fujinami was the the guy that that was kind of the Muga was because of him, and uh, Nishimura was a big uh, prominent person in in Muga. Um, because you know he's like the old technical catch wrestling type guy, so that's why they they would end up bringing like Boss Rutten in to do some special matchups, and they brought Tony Sinclair, who's he's a he's a world sport guy, and I don't think anybody else really cared except for maybe me and Brian because we love catch wrestling, <laughs> um, and I remember Brian followed him. Brian was the the biggest Tony Sinclair fan in the world. Like he, every morning in the hotel, I'd see Brian eating breakfast with him. And like following around in the train station and stuff like that, it was like it was it was it was hilarious. But I think I must have looked equally hilarious if I was like following Tiger Mask around or something for the exact same reasons. Because <laughs> I like catch wrestling and I like your boxing and I like you know, I like everything about this or whatever. But um, or like if I followed Billy Robinson around or something. But I could see it in his eyes then that it's like I want to be like this. So um, I remember he came back from England and and. Uh, and it was like, you know, anybody who, if, if anybody needed to do an impression of Brian, we just do some squats and bridge. Like, <laughs> as this, as this Brian in a nutshell, he, he knew exactly what he wanted out of, out of the sport. And, uh, and I, I think a lot of the greatest successes are people that are able to take something like that, which is kind of a one dimensional direction and really own it and find multiple directions to take it. And I think that's all he needed was a catalyst. He just needed, you know, what defined him. And that was that. So. So I also, I wanted you to expound a little on Kevin Quinn. Yeah. Just in general, what, what made him such a good teacher? Uh, Where, what do you see him as like being just in general, a very underrated worker and, you know, it's just go, go on because I just I I kind of I don't know I kind of this is one of the type of things I'm fascinated by like I said to you that like guys like not he not that he wasn't a great wrestler because he was but like why is Michael Jordan such a horrible coach right it's just <laughs> yeah. that he you hear about you hear his name so much um it, I, I there's so many things with that about Kevin I mean a lot of it one you have to consider that so many guys that were Kevin Quinn guys and you'll never know, but I almost feel like most of them, they weren't going to go wrong anyway. Cause I mean, you had guys like me or the pit bulls, right. And, um, and you know, I don't know how different things would have been without Kevin. Um, but I, I know that we, we weren't going to end up dying out our, you know, and living out our careers here just in, in LA. But then, you know, you look at other guys like Joe. How could you imagine Joe not being successful? You know, how could you imagine Punk not being successful? Christopher Daniels. Cena. Cena was a huge uh, student for Kevin when uh, Kevin was working with UPW here, like when they were cutting, you know, developmental. And so I remember Cena skipped a TV taping to go to practice with Kevin. Skipped a TV taping just to go to practice. Wow. Um, so you, you think of all these people and it's like these guys would have been successful anyway. So some of it is kind of maybe coincidence, like, um, you know, so, uh, but maybe, maybe a lot of it is maybe a lot of us would have struggled without Kevin. I don't know. 
Um, I think the great thing about Kevin was, uh, I mean, he had so much experience to pass on. You know, I mean, he'd done so many things. You know, he was in Mexico. He was almost, he was almost Love Machine. Um, okay, I, I don't know. I don't know the story. I need to hear this. I, I, I actually don't remember exactly why. I just remember they said, "Look, uh, um, start doing the frog splash," and and you know, I can't remember. They just basically lined him up to do everything that Art Bar did. And I don't remember why it didn't pan out. I just remember that he was supposed to be that. And then uh, in de- when he was uh, in developmental, he was going to be, uh, I think he was going to be where Scott Taylor was with Brian Christopher. And they had actually tagged a few times until he got his concussion and then got fired. <laughs> I, I uh, re- the way I re- at least from what was on TV, I think it was one of them got injured... Kevin replaced them, and that's when they started teasing the gay stuff. Yes, and then uh, I and then uh, if I remember correctly, what Kevin told me is like they, it ended up coming down to where they were wrestling the Job Squad on on a lot of shows, and then Scorpio just destroyed them on a clothesline, uh, and uh, his concussion was real bad, and they just ended up letting him go, and then he broke his neck wrestling Finley in Germany, like. I think a little bit after that, and then that that really like set him back physically for a while. So, um, so he's kind of the king of triggers that almost got pulled. <laughs> um, but you know, because of so many things that he's done in places he's been, he had so much to to offer from um, you know experience standpoint. And it's so valuable now because now you think about it, like guys in the past ten years or so. I mean, the experiences are different now. I can't, you know, I don't really know too many people that are so well traveled and in, in, in uh, such old school territories and systems. It just doesn't exist anymore. Wrestlers aren't built like that anymore. So that's why I was always so proud of like me and and uh, like Rocky and, and Ricky Reyes because like wrestlers just don't do that stuff anymore. They don't go and, and live in work for CMLL anymore and do these things you now. The Jericho's and Guerrero's of the world are gone. You know, now it's like, you know, two tours of Dragon Gate and you're a WWE cruiserweight the next day. Like like there's there's no in between anymore sometimes. Um but so I think a lot of experience helped out and he had a really great way of motivating you without making you feel like there was a lot of pressure on you. So that was really great. I remember I used to love just talking to Kevin just to talk to him because he had such a way of, of making you feel so good about your goals and what you're doing and your your the work you're putting into it and you know motivation is such a such a crazy thing because like uh, you know I always used to hear this about Heyman and if it holds true then I pretty much know exactly how it was because Gabe was the exact same way <laughs> like, <laughs> you almost feel threatened by the way they motivate people like they make you f- they almost like tear you down like like you feel like a reject so it's like you're motivated by being angry um and kevin was the exact opposite but you know tomato tomato i don't know sometimes maybe that's better for some people i don't know but um so between motivation and experience like kevin was a great teacher because of that all right so one last thing I'll ask you and is that I'm going to pray that the answer is yes, especially since you're from California. Do you have a or multiple 
Mike Leno story? Um, I'm sure I do. I just can't think of any offhand. Ah. <laughs> I, I'm sure I do. And it, the thing is, this is a question that, like, if you would have asked me, like, I don't know, five years ago, I might have something more fresh, but I can't think of anything now. Like, I, I want to say, yeah, I just, I'm sure, I, I'm sure if you had asked me another time in my life, I probably do. <laughs> but, but I can't think of anything right now. Yeah, and he's kind of, he's kept a lower profile the last few years, so not going to be anything quite as, as, as fresh in your mind. But <laughs> he's, he's, truly, he's truly a unique character. In, uh... But it, a lot of it has to do with just me forgetting stuff, man. Like, I, <laughs> I've forgotten so many things now. Like, I was shocked. At, like, a couple months ago, I was driving home from the gym, and I drove past a school, and they had, had a practice going on, and I was, like, realizing, oh, yeah, school's back in session now. This is, like, in September so. And I was just thinking, geez, like, because I started wrestling, like, at the start of my freshman year in high school. So I was just thinking, God, that was 14 years ago. That's half my life. Um, and I was just thinking, God, there's so many things I've forgotten. Like, I wish I would have kept a journal or something. Cause like sometimes people ask me questions about stuff like how we are now the past, you know, this, you know, all this time that we've been on here and, uh, guys will ask questions and I'll, I'll remember a story out of the blue and I'm like, God, I wish I could remember this on command, but I've forgotten so many things. Yeah. Just like the story I was trying to beat, I, I told you I might beat you into telling, which I decided again. <laughs> Well, we ended up. We ended. I feel bad because we going so went so long, and I ended up, and that we didn't uh, really get to cover Mexico really yet at all. At all. Well, the name thing with with Rocky Romero, but that I mean, in a nutshell, that just comes down to a like when we first went there, we we were just making stuff up as we went along because we were just stupid kids with an adult job <laughs> so like bobby quants completely renamed himself to rocco for no reason other than the fact that we had this old like 60s wrestler um tony rocco we... <laughs> tony rocco oh and, yes <laughs> and he, he, he worked out with us in the gym because he still lives in santa monica you know because he was you know did the loop there with like the grand olympic and all that he just still lives there on the beach and he would come in and start training with us because he he wrestled with Fujinami and those guys back in the day. So when the gym opened up, it's almost like right back to the 80s for him or something, like right back to the 70s. <laughs> Does he still so, have the best hand in wrestling? Oh, God, it was awesome. And he wore this. I, I don't know how long he's had this singlet, but he's probably still wearing it now if he's not dead. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, so Bobby renamed himself that out of the blue when somebody asked him what his name was the first day we were there in the office, just because he thought it was funny and because we all loved Tony Rocco. <laughs> uh, and uh, somebody couldn't get it straight that, that Rocky's name was Rocky because so, you know they, there had been several people named Ricky Romero you know, on some level through the history of CMLL, like in the office or actual wrestlers or people's real names or something like that. So they just called him Ricky Romero. Like thing, and I just I they took they took the mask off me because they thought it'd be ridiculous if I was the only one that had one. But they let me. They called me Puma anyway. So like you know when when especially later on when Rocky had like Gray Shadow, you know coming up in the works and then he was Black Tiger. So they had a time where they booked him against himself, not realizing that he is all these people. Yeah, <laughs> they wanted they wanted him to. Uh... He was the super lightweight champion, and they wanted him to drop the title to Black Tiger. 
not knowing yeah. that he who, was Black who Tiger. Was, yeah, they, they, they wanted him to drop the belt to Black Tiger, who was making waves over in New Japan, who they have a working agreement with, not realizing that that working agreement is how we got to CMLL in the first place, and Black Tiger was him. <laughs> That's yeah. just one big loop. I kind of wondered why they didn't just do a thing where they put, why didn't they just put Ricky under the mask and then have Rock, have Rocky lose to him and then have Rocky just be Black Tiger from then on? Uh, he may have done an actual expanded role as an alternate character, but he left. He ended up going to Zero One because he didn't like, uh, he didn't like the setup in New Japan. So mm-hmm. that's, that was the split of the Pitbulls just in general. Um, when, when, Reyes went over there. All right, so yeah, we are we 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 we've spent a lot of time with this. I think it's yeah. a good time to finish up, but I, we, movie, we should definitely yeah. do this. That's we should best. definitely do this again because, like I said, we we didn't really touch on Mexico at all, and you you know, I'm sure you have a bunch of good stories from there. So uh, this was really a lot of fun. Um, I thank you for doing this and just. As far as plugs, um, mainly in what the Twitter and the forum spring. Yeah, the uh, Twitter Mega TJP and the uh, and forum spring slash TJP nineteen eighty four I believe is what it is. It's really all I got. I don't. Uh, if you just Google TJ Perkins, it'll all come up. Yeah. So. Is that now? As far as do you tend to like post your upcoming bookings and stuff on on the Twitter account? Well, I get like. Because I don't know. Always... These these uh, guys that have a Ring of Honor website were sponsoring a site for me, and I had my schedule there, but I haven't really updated it because, well, I'm not in Ring of Honor anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I just actually tweeted a couple days ago what I have coming up next couple months. I I have a grand total of about 25 airplanes to catch in the next four weeks, so I got a lot of stuff coming up. So yeah, thanks, and let's let's definitely do this again sooner or later. No, absolutely, anytime.